Welcome to The Nix, where we talk about pop culture until we can't stand it anymore, and we nix it. I'm Justin Hartung. And I'm Fanny Darling. And I'm Philip William Stover, the Santa who's come to stuff your stockings full of queer romantic fiction. Yep, we're joined by a special guest to talk queer romance and pop culture, including a review of the new Hulu movie, The Happiest Season. And as always, a quick warning, there might be spoilers for anything we talk about on this podcast, but we'll do our best to warn you that they're coming. Uh, as always, a, a plea to rate and review us on Apple Podcast app, Podchaser, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever. If you're a friend of Phillips, um, he's new to the podcast, so um, you're going to listen to this, so you're going to love this podcast, so rate and review us. It helps people find us, so just, just do that thing. Um, yeah. So Philip, welcome to the show. Uh, we're so happy Thank to you. have you here. Um, Philip is the author of the seasons of new hope series. Did I get that title right? I hope seasons of new hope. That's right. Seasons of new hope. Uh, he is among the first of authors to be published as part of Karina Adoris, a new heart. It's just Karina focus. Adores. Oh, oh, not Adoris. I was giving it a little <laughs> flourish. <laughs> no, that's only when I sell them at the Renaissance Festival. <laughs> Perfect. Out of, out, of my, out of my cart, then they call it that. Otherwise, it's just Karina Adores. Karina Adores. Wow. Like I'm the word adores, Justin. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> adores, like I adore you. Like Karina adores you. <laughs> You're adorable. Yeah. I thought it was like... Root word you know, being adore. If your aunt Karina, she'd be named Adoris. She wouldn't be named Adores. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, it is a new Harlequin line. I'm sure they're going to love us talking about it that way. Uh, focused on LGBTQ plus stories. Um, Philip is also a dear friend of mine from way back. Uh, one of my most cherished memories with you, Philip, is seeing while you were sleeping in God knows 1990 what, and then arguing about it later. I hated it, and you thought I was a terrible Grinch for hating it. Right. Uh, can you tell I us a little... I think you're a terrible yeah. Grinch for lots of other reasons. <laughs> um, why don't you tell us, well, you can start with whether you've changed your opinion on while you were sleeping and then also tell us a little bit about your book series and kind of what your whole journey has been like with uh, Karina Adores. Well, the only thing I remember about while you were sleeping is then we saw a preview for um, the Ricky Lake, Shirley MacLaine movie. Remember that? It came out right after... And, oh my God. and it came out right after it's called like Mrs. Bad. Witherspoon or something. And we watched the preview <laughs> and you turned to me and you said, while you were sleeping, Ricky Lake stole your part. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds like a Justin line. Yeah, exactly. So and that's what I remember about while you were sleeping. Although it is a beloved romantic movie. Um, Do you remember Peter Gallagher's eyebrows? Oh, yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> I remember all of that. And then, of course, she worked on the train on, like, the metro in Chicago. Um, and I remember where we saw it. Remember on 2nd Avenue? Was it 2nd Avenue? Yeah, 2nd Avenue. The one that used to be, like, a vaudeville or synagogue or something. It used to be a synagogue, that movie theater. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And right. it was really – that stage was really wide. Remember, it was, like, really wide but not very deep. It was such a strange experience. Right, because it was like an actual old theater. Oh, yeah, you're, you'll cut out the stuff people won't care about, right? No. No. no oh, okay. He doesn't do that. 
Well, then keep I'll, it all in here. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I stay on. Keep it real. Um, so um, you were asking let, me of that, yeah. about the tell Karina. us about uh, Seasons of New Hope and so, Karina Doors. Seasons of New Hope is a uh, series about the actual town of New Hope, Pennsylvania, where I am about 10 minutes from where I'm sitting. And it is a real gay small town in that it is like Fire Island or Provincetown and that it has a very long history of being a um, inclusive place. And when um, we got our house out here in Bucks County, I always knew I wanted to write something about that town and to really think about it as a gay haven and a gay safe space. Um, I grew up reading romances, so when I found out about the Karina Adores line, I was really excited to uh, pitch them and pitch them this series. I often talk about the fact that I was always an embarrassed romance reader, so I would tear the covers off of the book so that I wouldn't get teased for reading them. And then I had this elaborate ritual at our local bookstore um, where I would look at all the books I wanted and like turn them over so no one knew I was looking at the, rom- the Y young adult romance. And then I would go to buy them and I'd say every time, oh, I think these are the ones my sister wanted. And <laughs> buy them. Um, to kind of cover, uh, but I've always loved romance. So this was a great opportunity for me as a romance lover. Excellent. And how was, uh, how was working with Queen Adores? Adores. I keep wanting to say Adores as much as you can sort of talk about that. And just, is that, um, yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, you asked a little bit about, we were talking about um, uh, while you were sleeping, which is a romantic film. And, you know, and we talked about the romantic stories that I know we're going to talk about Happiest Season. And there's a real difference between romantic stories and romances. What is that difference, you may be wondering? Well, I thought I would tell <laughs> it's a taxonomy you. taxonomy of romance. So, do rom- <laughs> romantic stories are any stories that sort of have romance in them. And you've probably even read some of them yourself. Yeah, so they're, you know, love stories. A romance follows a very specific structure from start to end, has very specific tropes, and the expectation of the reader is that you will hit those tropes and not screw them up. So that was very hard for me. Not very hard for me, but it was new territory for me. And it was there were parts of it that I didn't quite, that I had to really work for, and that I was really satisfied when I finally got them to sort of all line up for me. And doesn't Karina even sort of make that trope thing explicit in their Yeah, it's mission? not – in the romance world, tropes are not something we're embarrassed of. It's not something that it's mm-hmm. like try to hide behind or uh, stock characters or not. They, they're explicit. It's like – it is – they lead with that. Like they want – like people yep. look – Is this a trauma soothing? Is it a, yeah. you know, this, best, uh, enemies to lovers? Enemies to lovers, is it opposites to, to track, yeah. yep. second chance. Yep. romance it's like they want yep. to know those things and that's not an uncommon um experience of genre fiction genre fiction often the readers want to know what is this thing i'm going to read and once they have those expectations they're willing to play around and across those boundaries 
in my genre, like the difference between paranormal romance and urban fantasy is, is there a happily ever after or not? And that is very much so. Yes, you, they're that smallly defined. And, and that's what makes the difference between, and if you go to a paranormal romance, they're going to want, you know, the kiss by page 12, the, this, you know, it's very laid out and the audiences that's, they go in expecting that. And it's not anything that anybody's embarrassed about as they talk about it. And, and it, and can you make it interesting knowing that you're working within these parameters? And I think that's a, a really incredible skill. The struggle for me, though, was trying to find ways to meet those tropes, but also tell an authentic gay story. And as you may or may not know, the majority of gay MM romance fiction is written by women and read for and read, read and written by women. Um, right. So I was really trying to bring, and many of them do a great job. Um, and I was, but I was trying to bring my authentic voice to this genre, and also trying to learn it. And the things that were that I came up against were things like, you know, the characters can only have sex with each other. You know, the, the, the hero and the hero, they can't have a physical attraction outside of the relationship in any way. And when I had written the proposal, this guy comes to town and he like bangs the delivery guy. You know, a, a scene I completely made up, Justin, in case you're remembering our time in New York. A scene I completely oh. made up. I am not referencing the con ed person at all. Romantic this, memories. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but that couldn't be there. And the thing that was hard for me, well, not hard for me, that I was like, oh, okay, we have to, like, like I wanted to find the line between it. At the end of the book, you know, the two heroes break up and are having their dark night of the soul. One character goes back to New York city and he was going to sleep with the concierge, you know, not that I've ever done that. As you do. As, I as mean... one, as one does after a breakup to like, you know, fuck the misery out of yourself. And that's, and for me as a gay man and many of the gay men that I know, those two things would not necessarily be connected, right? Like, I could do that if I was broken up with somebody and still love them, but that was not allowed what in this doing. genre. Right. And I'm fine because we want to meet readers' expectations and I don't want to take them too far astray. Um, but I definitely bring in issues about masculinity in this book and the hideaway in is really about issues around um, what it means to be a man and issues around uh, the the ways in which gay men wear and don't wear masculinity, how it's a commodity. Um, and in the second book, The Beautiful Things Shop, um, there's talk about expertise and how, and this is not my idea, it's Susan Sontag's, how there was a time of, for gay men to have expertise is to be safe. So there are many gay men who's become experts in the ballet or opera or science fiction or Star Trek or, or whatever. But that kind of um, expert knowledge creates a, a, a safety net for you in the world. And so the Beautiful right. Things Shops talks a little bit about that issue. 
Nice. And just a question, are there other men writing in this space or is it really mostly women? It's mostly women, but there are some really great men like Rick Reed and Jeff Adams, Jay North Gordon, lots of people I could think of. There, there are men. And I think it's, I wonder what's going to happen in the next couple of years. There's definitely been this idea of own voices and that's been sort of complicated in this world. Of course, you you know, there's also been I don't know if you guys have talked about gay face yet. Have you talked about so. gay face is the term being used right now for straight men who play gay. And I don't mean like, in like Sean Cody or something. Right, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, so they pay him for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I so like that's I don't I don't know what will happen with that. I mean it, it used to be it's that part's getting more complicated, like James Gordon or I think it was well, it was really about Vigo Morton some whatever his name is. Yeah, and as he said, you guys don't know if I'm completely straight. Uh he did stand up for himself in that uh on that right. But um he didn't go on to say if he was or not, but he did he did give an interview that said, Look, you don't know who I've slept with. So I don't know that you can make that accusation. I mean, I, but... <laughs> I'm interested in that defense, but I'm also like, Fanny, what do you think? But he's, I mean, he's considered a straight man. Let's, let's be honest. Well, there's let's... that, right? So I, I always find that there's this other way of like media um, owners of saying, well, I don't, I don't know the ethnicity of our writers. I don't know the right. gender of our writers. And I think yeah, it's really? disingenuous to a point. Yeah, it's, it's disingenuous. It's this, it's this protection of like, oh, I'm going to, you know, be virtuous in this, but really, are you? I don't. Yeah. Well, and particularly in YA spaces, um, and Justin and I were talking about this the other night because I get super defensive in situations where I feel like straight women are are infantizing or fetishizing their gay male friends. It upsets me. <laughs> it, it, I'm just like, oh, I don't like that when you when they say, oh, I, I'm going to do this, but you won't care because you're gay. It bugs me. <laughs> and in the YA romance uh, space, gay particularly, um, you know, men to, male to male uh, fiction has been incredibly fetishized, fetishized. And it, I, I would much rather see this shift that, that own voices are, are happening, uh, particularly in adult, and then maybe it begins to, to trickle down because it's an, it's an icky feeling to stand around 15 year old girls who are, you know, talking about their gay ships in a way that makes, but that makes you feel like they want to pinch their cheeks instead of let these men own their sexuality and their stories. You know, they don't need you necessarily to stand up for them, stand by them, but they don't need you to tell them how cute they are. You know, then it, it, I mean, I'm me finding out. that is such a part of understanding romance in the hideaway. The main character is, really a jerk in the beginning because he's over, he's returning to a place where he was, had the shit beat him out of him. So, you know, he's a, he's a little touchy, you know, to the people who treated him so badly. Bad. Um, so, but that, it, that doesn't always fit the, 
way in which readers want to think of gay men. And I think that's, I think that readers need to get a full picture of who the characters are that they're reading or who the types of people are in in a spectrum and a variety of experiences. There are assholes and there are nice ones, but there are lots of things in between. That also gets into something that I've noticed across so much just romantic fiction in general is it almost always depends on somebody kind of acting like an asshole. <laughs> That's sort of like one one trope of like that makes sort of romantic fiction somewhat interesting because it's sort of there's always somebody acting horribly and they need to overcome that and sort of, uh, you know, reconcile around that behavior. Um, and we'll talk about that well, I think, more in Happiest Season. We say in the in the romance biz – Characters move from being whole-hearted, H-O-L-E, to whole-hearted, W-H-O-L-E. That is a very romance thing, we say. But we are also very, the Karina Adores line specifically, is very low angst. And that was hard for me as a writer, coming from programs where it's like, you know, my tween fiction is always like, raise the stakes, raise the stakes. And this was always like, well, not exactly. You know, right. I mean, it's it's interesting because I think, you know, the, the fact that these books aren't really being written for gay men, primary, I mean, not like you're excluding them, but you're saying like the target audience is often women. And it's like, God, I mean, gay men, but also women have fought so hard to sort of, you know, defy tropes or feel like tropes don't apply to them. Right. And there's must be this interesting tension of like, how do you um, kind of speak to that for like, if there is a 20 year old gay man who does want to read a romance book and picks up this book, is he going to feel seen? Well, I think so. that's such a good point. And I really think about like, you know, Justin, when you talk about reading romance, I'm like, I don't know exactly what books you're referring to. I'd like to get that <laughs> list later after the I don't show. Know anything. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. That's what I was thinking. But like, you know, I grew up re- reading romance, and then AIDS, and every book of gay fiction dealt with AIDS, and the characters died. And I'm in my 20s, and I'm reading fiction, and. AIDS is around me and I don't want to read books where the characters are dying. And there is no, and then what happens in my opinion with gay fiction is it becomes very literary. So you get books like less or books like back in the day in the mysteries of Pittsburgh, these sort of like high literary books. And then the bottom drops out. There's no, there is no commercial gay fiction. There isn't. There just right. isn't. And that be, is because a generation skipped over it. Our generation doesn't have an appetite for commercial fiction. And where it went was to science fiction, which I know you're not a stranger to, Justin. But like <laughs> that type of genre absorbed it because there was no gay romantic fiction that didn't deal with AIDS. And I, that, right. so I'm really trying to find the gay men who want to return to romance, who want escape, who want that type of romantic fantasy, who like romantic movies and those things and want to return to this because we've lost that generation, I think, because of, because of HIV and AIDS, frankly, and the way the literature overtook it. And I mean, how does "Call Me by Your Name" fit into similar? It's, it's high literature. That's literature. That's yeah, it's high literature. That's literary yeah. fiction. I'm not literary totally. fiction. Never have been. No. 
But it's interesting yeah. that the movies of uh, of these books have sort of become the pop culture space in which that's kind of allowed and enjoyed across. Yeah, but know, a transmedia jump always does that. Right. Yeah, because right. it's going to, quote, you know, in scare quotes, dumb it down so that right. because, yeah. you know, it's not going to be pages and pages where nobody talks. And I mean, as as much as the movie actually was sort of pages and pages where nobody talked. It was pretty, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, Philip, have you read uh, What If It's Us? Say, YA. Uh, say it again. What If It's Us? What If It's Us? Oh, by, I do know uh, What If Albert It's Us. Albert and, and yeah, Becky yeah. Albertalli. It's, it's very sweet. And they just got their uh, uh, sequel greenlit. Now, I, I like Albertalli, but... Silvera is amazing. So pick up some of his stuff. Uh, I think that's this, great. What if it's not is the only one that will not break your heart? <laughs> will not make you but, cry and, ugly tears. I hope those kinds of books, which are a little bit, a little bit more dignified is not the word I'm looking for, a little more elevated than sort of trade paperback stuff like that. Yeah. You know, like uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue. They have a... They, in that YA field, they get a little elevated. And I wonder yep. what will happen because we don't – how do those stories and those readers carry over to adult fiction? I, I, I agree with you. And I like that the YA space seems to be a place where they don't have to so much be message and coming out. Right, yeah. Like you were saying about – for a long time, the YA space was about – instead of AIDS, it was about the, you know, the coming out message and the, you know, standing up and and – you know, rallying for inclusion and all that, which is also important stories, but I like that now they don't have to be, that you can, they can just be stories about people. Right. And the YA and, space seems and, to be really good for that. And that's what I want to write. And what I'm writing, I'm trying to make my niche smaller and smaller. Um, I really write gay chiclet. That, right. I mean, that's what I, I write stories about becoming stories about people who figure out who they are in the story. And that's a very chiclet trope. But I have yet to find the right way to describe gay chiclet. I don't know what the cocklet is. It's not dicklet. It's not dicklet. <laughs> there is dicklet, and that's straight, but it never took off either. Like, I, I really, yeah. if you look at the cover for my next book, what they said to me when they sent it was, we're very excited for this book. We think it's very WF. And I was like, oh, oh, they're coding women's fiction. I write gay women's fiction. And if you know that genre, that is my, right. that's my spot. Yeah. I, and that's what I always um, read and liked and enjoyed. I, now I'm just writing them as gay characters with authentic voice, I hope. Can, can awesome. I ask you a question? Does, um, does Karina do sort of female-female uh, or, you know, trans? Oh, yeah, like how are, how, yeah. Okay. Cool. All, um, all, and who are, all, who's reading those? Women as well? Like lesbians? Or do you think straight women or queer people? I, don't, or what? I, I can speak to the demographic of what I see overall. Individual books. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, you know, yeah. and like, you know, I know we said, we said before, like publishers could use that as a cop out. And I, but like when you're on the other side of it, like I don't see, you know, I don't, it's like we have an Airbnb and people always say like, who's he? we have, we'll always say like, oh, the Airbnb is full. And people always ask, oh, who's there? What are they doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, the, the check clears on the Airbnb. I don't know who they are. It's like, 
it's like readers. It's like, oh, they read your book. Who are they? I don't know. <laughs> right, right. right? And, then, and that level of detail, like overall, maybe. But like, I don't know. I, I have we have way more downloads job. than we have listeners, and they're yeah. not talking to us. So, yes, yeah, well, we don't know who they are. <laughs> we don't know who's listening. If you are, make yeah. yourself known to us. We want Thank to you. know you. Yeah, write yep. an Amazon review for Phillips Books. Tell us one more time the names of the titles. Oh, the Hideaway Inn is on Amazon right now, and you can leave a review on Goodreads or um, Amazon. And the Beautiful Things Shop uh, comes out in January. It's the story of two guys who have to share an antique shop. One collects um, Muppet Show lunchboxes and Star Trek memorabilia and Beanie Babies, and the other is a 19th century connoisseur of metalworks. Um, Excellent. And it's an opposite to track romance. And it's two P's and an E on that shop. So you are actually at the Renaissance. Oh, hell no. There was no way I was not going to do a shop A. Me and the vitamin shop. It's like we own that. Okay. It's like I am so in line. I'm so on brand with the vitamin shop. (laughs) Anything else you want to say before we move into happiest season? No, I'm ready to go, baby. Let's do it. Let's get into our Hulu Okay. <laughs> okay, Fanny's gonna I'm going to give the synopsis, give the synopsis because it old, it'll be the nicest thing I say the whole time. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> except I love you. Remember, Clea Duvall, that I love you before we go here. Okay, <laughs> Clea Duvall wrote and directed this uh, holiday story about a lesbian couple who are going home to spend the holiday times with one of the partner's families who has been in the closet and didn't tell Kristen Stewart's character that she was in the closet. And I don't know, mischief ensues. Stars uh, Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Alison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, deep breath so I can continue down this list. Dan Levy, Mary Holland, Victor Garber, and Mary Steenburgen. Um, we're going to go straight into spoilers here because it's been out for, what, two or three weeks. People have been feeling the way they feel about it since then. So here comes your warnings. You got one downtown Pittsburgh, two white elephant gifts, and three incredibly bad Mary Steenburgen wigs. What'd you think, Philip? <laughs> I really enjoyed, more than I thought, I enjoyed this movie up till the third act where it all just kind of goes crazy. But I don't think, I think it was one of those movies where it's like, Oh, people will tune in and watch it, but nobody's going to watch the whole thing. Right. It's like, it could they just sort of like, and they just thought like, Oh, it's like, we'll just put like whatever. And it's like, it's like when I wrote my master's thesis, I was like, Oh, just pick a bunch of leftover paper from the copier, staple it together and hand it in. No one's going to read your dissertation. Trust me. Um, and that's what I like thought the end of this movie was like, like no one's going to watch it. Just stuff it in. But there's two movies going on in this, which is there's the story. And then there's a series of auditions for Saturday Night Live that happen throughout <laughs> the movie. It's like, what is this scene? It has nothing. Oh, yeah. oh this is one of the SNL audition scenes. So right, and nobody got the job. And nobody gets the job. Like the scene in the shoplifting moment. Like, what was yeah. Like, oh, we're just going to do our SNL audition since we have the cameras and the lights and everything. I hope you don't mind. It's like, okay, we'll just sit through that. Sure. 
And Dan Levy just apparently like stumbled in from, uh, you know, the, the Shit's Creek set and was like, they were like, just keep doing that thing. And he was like, okay. Exactly. <laughs> just, just like, keep on going. You know, it was like, I, I actually think, I'm sure they offered that to like Billy Eichner and I'm sure they hate each other. They are both like the biggest, bossiest <laughs> bottoms. And I'm sure he's like, do not, do, I do not want him doing it. I'll, fine, I'll do it. And like, I think he just was like, yeah, I'm not changing anything. I just don't want Billy Eichner to have that. <laughs> um, can I ask See, now, you? Here's if we yeah. hadn't gotten to the third, uh, the, the third act, then I could have told myself that sh- Kristen Stewart ended up with Aubrey Plaza and been happy with the ending. Yeah, well, exactly. Okay. And that would have been great. Like we were talking about before. It's like that actually would have happened what? if it didn't have to have this romantic trope. Like the Aubrey, what's her name? Is her name Avenue Plaza? Whatever it is. Aubrey Plaza. Um, Aubrey Plaza. Uh. I always want to call her <laughs> Avenue Plaza. I don't know why. Adorous. Um, Like, yeah, they had like much more chemistry than the other two, I thought. Yeah, yeah, Aubrey Plaza made Kristen Stewart look like she could act. Yeah, and Mackenzie Davis is kind of a little bit of a lump too. Oh I no, say. yawn! Yeah, um, she was a yawn. Oh yeah, total. To- yeah, I, I thought that needed a, a bit more. Go- I mean, yeah, that needed more goosing. I mean, I was very much uh, same with you, Philip. Like, I was on board for the first half. I thought I was going to hate it. I thought it was going to be like unwatchable. And part of it is just Mary C. Immersion. Anything she does, I'm just like. Okay, I can go along with whatever this is. Um, and I sort of like Kristen Stewart's surly shtick. Like, I, I kind of relate. Um, so I, I didn't mind any of that. Um, really? But, but Justin, just... I find that hard to believe. As someone who once <laughs> said to me, is Bridget Fonda in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Thank Although, you. She's not Thank surly. You. She's, like, just blank. Oh, what? Um, <laughs> No, they're uh, cut anyway. from the same cloth. Sorry. No, we're, not gonna, we're not going to get to whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once it got into the whole like central dilemma and she was left, you know, Kristen Stewart's character was left like wandering around downtown Pittsburgh, like doing God knows what. It was just like, okay, do you have any other idea of what's happening in this movie? It just sort of didn't build on that at all. I and then a- the sisters... Yeah, it's just I, it was. It was I had a question about that for both of you, which is, you know, obviously it's this new same sex concept, not concept, but same new sex content coming to this movie, right? With the oldest tropes in the book of politician trying to create the appearance of being, um, you know, a sense of propriety. I thought. It was such a weird mix of super old-fashioned and and not even just old-fashioned, like post-Trump. Does that story ever hold of like the politician's family a month after even the Democrat in – was it South Carolina or North Carolina? was called sexting like – and people were like, I don't care. You know, like – Right, right. And unless you're in like super small town but not outside – not in, dear God, in Pennsylvania where I'm sitting um, – but it's like it was such a weird – and I, I get it because the tension between the tropes of fake boyfriend, fake girlfriend you know, are such great ones. And, and they're part of the trope of fish-out-of-water stories. Like those are really fun scenes to write. People love to watch them. But do you think we will still have those in a post-Trump world? 
I mean, that just brings up to a larger kind of thing that everybody's been talking about, about the coming out narrative in general. I think it's gotten a lot of flack because however old, what are, you know, Kristen McKenzie's character was supposed to be, or what's her, no, what's her name? Mackenzie Davis. However old she's supposed to be, it's like those kinds of coming out stories at that age feel very baffling just in general. You're just sort of like Fanny and I were talking about this earlier because there's been a bunch of articles around this and it's like, I think Clea Duvall's probably had this story kicking around in her head since she was 18, but she now finally just got, you know, was able to tell it, but it's like in 19, whatever, you know, 90, it would have made a lot more sense, but yeah, it felt very out of time, the whole thing. But this trope of, you know, I've got a secret is such a powerful one. It's like, we see it in so much popular culture of genre work like that. It's, how do you how do you deny it? Because it's such a great siren's call. So I kind of you know when you have to suspend disbelief on a lot of levels. Um, case in point, Anna Gasteyer. But um, on, right, on right. top of you know it's like so. But it, but it is it felt a little clumsy at the end because it was hard to jam those pieces together. Yeah, it's true. I really did like um, Mary Holland as the like nutty artist sister. It's like if you got her, like unleash her on the movie. No, like. I think they took some. I think someone did one of the. What are those DNA tests? You know, like when you do them at home. Someone did right. a cheek swab of Kristen Wiig, put it in a <laughs> petri dish, waited for it to grow, and then put her in this movie. Didn't that true, seem true. like what it was? She was a little Kristen Wig light. Oh, true. she was like I. I loved her. I loved everything about that strange character, and she was in a different movie than everyone else. But I, I thought that she was. Funny. <laughs> she was maybe in a better movie. Yeah, well, she was one of the. This is my audition for Saturday Night Live. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. And the, the tackling the Christmas tree. By the time we got there, it was like, oh God! Like, yeah, none of you get the job. Sorry. <laughs> like. Um, yeah, right, I mean, they tried to go into like real physical comedy. Yeah. yeah, none of them were great yeah. at it. Um, Fanny, I feel like we you've got some uh, some some feelings to unleash. Do you want to do you want to unleash? Okay, so I mean, I guess I'm glad that we've gotten to the point as a queer community that we get to have mundane, boring, mediocre fiction, and so inclusivity, yay! But. Basically, I cared not about this movie, and I wasn't impressed. I didn't want to rip its throat out the way I have some other recent things, but I really, I, it wasn't my thing. From, Here's a final question. Do you, oh yeah, for ahead, me, the movie hit the right spot. It was like, I got to watch it, do one other thing while I was watching it. That is the type of entertainment I want. It fell apart at the end, but my favorite part of the movie is the absolutely perfect, perfect name for the straight bar. Do you remember what it was called? No. Fratties. F-R-A-T-T-Y-S. <laughs> they go to the straight bar and it's called Fratties. It was like, uh, that alone got me so hot. I thought that was like the hottest name for a straight bar ever. <laughs> I mean, you're like, I would go there. I'd go there. What's your problem? Fratties? Have you seen the guys at Fratties? Oh my god, amazing. <laughs> Instead you went to the weird fake drag queen bar? What's that about? Exactly. Um, With the teaser for Dallas and Jace's show. Be, 
Right. Right. And why was that supposed to be endearing? Oh, look, Aubrey Plaza making her sing a Santa song. I did not. That scene, I got that it was supposed to be about the chemistry between the two of them. But if we don't get them in the end as the couple, then I don't care about their cute chemistry with the drag queens. I thought that was, that's a really good point. It's like, why are they showing their chemistry? And it was like that scene with the two of them was so much more endearing than the Mackenzie thing before. I here's genuinely thought for a minute that's where we were going. And so, I was okay, happy. here's where I'll push back a little bit is that I do think in the gay community, and this is from my own experience and many sort of gay sort of lives, it's like you can be friends with exes and there's a much more fluid – there was something kind of queer about that that it didn't necessarily – go to like, oh, there's more chemistry here. That feels a little like tropey to me in another way. Like it's sort of more realistic that there's a terrible, boring couple that's not going to last. And, and But you might have chemistry and you might all be friends. I don't know. I, that didn't bother me as much. See, I thought I also, why wasn't Aubrey Avenue, what's her name? <laughs> Plaza. <laughs> Plaza. Aubrey right. Plaza. <laughs> why wasn't Aubrey Plaza um, in the other lead role? Right. Like I know. I, I thought like they had chemistry. They look great together. It would have been fun to see. Like I was so confused by that. And all the other one actress was totally fine and I guess a bit more uptight and right for that role. But they had such chemistry. Like I didn't yeah. until did you see that she also outed um Kristen Stewart's I think COVID status? No, it was a big scandal. Like during an interview for the movie, she outed the fact that during the movie or at the end of it, I think Kristen Stewart had COVID and they were like, uh, no one knew that. She was like, Oh, you didn't. It was a big scandal last week. You guys don't do your homework for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not for this movie. All right. Um, All right. One final happiest season question. Do we think this was supposed to go to theaters or was this like a made for Hulu thing? Hulu. Okay. Yeah, made for Hulu. Which is not yeah. a bad thing. Right. I mean, go to what theaters? <laughs> made for... <laughs> right. Made for no, theaters. No, I mean, some of the... I guess they... So they filmed this during COVID? That's so crazy. At the very it's end. Weird. It was like January, February, yeah. I think. It was like right at the end. They just got it in. Wow. But uh, Kristen Stewart has vampire blood, so she was fine from yeah. COVID, so it all worked out. Apparently, um, Mary Steenburgen's right. wigs so, still have COVID. They well, there's no other explanation. <laughs> they, they still have it. They're long haulers. Those wigs. Yes, yeah. they, they have their own oximeters. Yeah, they they, they have sustained lasting damage. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's do our final segment. We saw what you did there, where we talk about uh, you know other pop culture, movies, TVs, books, podcasts, music we enjoyed this week. Uh, Fanny, why don't you go first? What what did, what did you do? What did you saw that we did there? Um, I caught up on the flight attendant. I do not understand the buzz behind this fucking show, you guys. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Finally, in the last episode, it got kind of interesting because the cool, mean lady from uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina like suddenly became much more of a character. I-, I will watch Michael Huseman do just about anything, and I don't get this show. So, anyway, I caught up on that. But you watched uh, <laughs> I finished uh, Murder at Middle Farm. What is the name of that damn thing, Justin? Uh, the true Middle crime. Beach. Yeah. The true crime thing about the son who's trying to solve his mother's murder. It actually ended up being quite touching. Uh, I recommend watching that. It's very good. I, I, um, 
I finished yep. that as well. It was really super sad. I mean, it was devastating. Yep. The fact that basically yeah. he has the only hope he has is kind of maybe eliminating in his mind who didn't do it. Um, yep. It was a, yep. it was an, a And in his speech, he gets to the line where he says, you don't have to worry about me anymore. And that's where I broke because that's just an impossibility as a parent. Even if you're dead, you're not going to stop worrying about your kid. So I, and yeah. how heartbreaking it must be for her if there is any place that she sees that, that he's tortured by this. So anyway, it's, yeah. I thought it was quite I it was touching. Rough. I liked it. Um, I watched a Lifetime's version of My Sweet Audrina. I want you both to shut up. I did. I watched it. <laughs> because I don't know VC what the first My Sweet Audrina is. Yeah, yeah. Philip? Oh, it's V.C. Andrews? Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of her only standalones. And it's fucking wackadoo. Okay? I mean, it is... It's about a little girl who's being brought up thinking that she had a sibling and lied to about her actual age and because as a small child she was like brutally raped and so they decide to make her forget it by drugging her and telling her she's much younger and she's the second Audrina and all sorts of other gothic hideousness and yeah so Lifetime's version <laughs> stars James Tupper who was in Revenge and uh, fathered Anne Heche's child and it's not good and I watched it I paid 99 cents for it uh, I'm mad about I'm mad at Lifetime anyway. Why? Why am I mad at Lifetime? Why am I mad at Lifetime? Um, because they made a movie with Mario Lopez about Colonel Sanders, and it's supposed to be a romantic movie, and I think it's wrong and disgusting. <laughs> I have feelings. So that thing is. It's just an ad, right? It's just like a 10-minute ad. that I don't know. I don't care. I'm not going any further than that. I don't like it. I'm against it. I hate it. <laughs> There's your next. You got a neck. Well, yep. Lifetime has been <laughs> off-brand for a while. I have Lifetime in my blood. I grew up watching the Lifetime channel. I spent all day watching an intimate portrait over and over, different intimate portraits, and then all night watching the Lifetime movies. And it was a cycle of, I always said the intimate portraits were always, she started out with nothing, learned to play by the rules and make a few of her own, an intimate portrait. And then at <laughs> night, it was always, she had everything a woman could want and lost it all. So like, and that was the endless cycle of lifetime going back and, and then killed somebody. Women, yeah, it was always like they have everything, they lose it. They have nothing, they get everything. They lose everything, they get every. It's like back and forth all day long on Lifetime. I loved it. Um, and for the flight attendant, any television show, movie that has a poster with someone falling through space, I'm into. Like, that's my jam. <laughs> like, an image of someone falling, like, oh, I'm in this falling world. Like, I'm like oh, that's always good. How can that be bad? They're falling. They don't know where they are. So Have you watched watch it? it? No, but I will because she's falling. Are you watching it? I will. I will. <laughs> and I will watch it through. I can get it. There. It may actually. It thinks it's murder. It thinks. They think it is like Hitchcock meets quirky, uh, Mad Men. They, it wants to be like 50 things, and it's none of them. And Kaylee Cuoco, God love you. You have a trillion dollars. Just 
be happy. Don't buy the rights to these quirky books and then try and make them with yourself as the star and to prove that your acting chops are your acting chops because you don't have any acting chops. You do one thing, you do it relatively well, go do it. Fake plane interiors? What's better than that? <laughs> I mean, I do like fake, fake plane interiors. interiors are like, I would do anything to be in a fake plane interior. Like, that is my make a wish goal. Like, a fake, <laughs> like just how, to be how, in a fake plane interior. Like, how wide are they actually? That's my real question. You know, and like, you know they're, they're cut like, in half. And you know there's, like, been lots of porn filled in them at some point. Like, how can you succeed with, like, a fake plane interior without renting it out for that? <laughs> All right, Philip, you want to tell us what you've been watching? I'll tell you just one thing. And I don't, I don't know if you've watched it. If not, Justin, I know it's definitely up your alley. The Beforeners. No, I don't know. Okay, The Beforeners is great. Are you telling me about that somebody was? It takes place in Oslo, and it is about these events. It's a little bit after these events occur. There are temporal refugees around the world. So these people who come back from uh, prehistoric time, Norse time, and the 19th century – um, and they come back and there's like a kind of a procedural, but it's also about identity and refugees and temporal refugees and accepting people and adapting or, or not assimilating. It's, it's really strange and interesting. It's kind of sci-fi. I think it would be, I think you might like it. What's it on? What are you watching it on? It's on, um, one will have to get their Apple remote. It's on HBO Max. Perfect. Okay. I, I, I feel like I started that and was into it and just forgot to keep going. So I will, I will totally check that out. That's like, that's with Justin Itis. I watched 10 minutes of it. I really liked it. I never thought, I never went back again. I'm going to watch all of this. True. 10 True. years later. No, I never watched that. Yeah. What else you got? Um, I, that's all I've oh, got. Sure. Or do you want what me to go on? Doing, you, I like that you whispered it. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Let's talk about Big Mouth. So how are you watching the new season of Big Mouth? You bet I am, Justin. Does Billy Eichner want to bottom with Dan Levy or what? <laughs> that's my, that's my, that's my Maya Rudolph as the hormone monster. Oh good. my god! She, how much does she just make that entire show? She's great. Um, all they all great. are. All the hormone monsters are the best part. They are. They are. Um, yeah, are you liking the new season? I am. You know, I though, boy, did I make a mistake. So that show makes me look, you know, very clean and G-rated. <laughs> and I share my Netflix account with my mother-in-law. And you know when you log into Netflix, sometimes you, like, click the wrong person? So I am clicking, I clicked yep. on hers, and I'm watching Big Mouth, and later I go into mine, and I'm like, that's weird, I know I was watching it. Why isn't it in my just watch list? And I am terrified, like, and now they start Googling, like, remove from watch list Netflix, Netflix, change watch list, watch list, cancel, help, mother-in-law. <laughs> Help, mother-in-law. <laughs> so I know she's going to be getting a dose of like the, you know, their endless rhymes for the sex acts are great. I, I, I thought, it, I think it's oh, great. Yeah. I, I really still like it. 
I do too. I mean, I think the second season with the shame wizard was still my favorite. The shame wizard. Oh, um, that. Yeah, and the whole musical number. But this season is good. I feel like they've kind of gotten it a little back on track. And I love uh, Maria Bamford as the uh, the mosquito, the anxiety mosquito. Oh, the anxiety mosquito. Yeah. And is that Annie yeah. Potts as the get Matthew's mother? Oh, is that? I didn't even. I, I think that, it's that Annie Potts as Matthew's mother. And I love that his dad, I don't know how far you are, the dad was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> right, right. And the dad's kind of hot. Yeah. <laughs> well he is i'm just saying have you looked at the dad in that scene i, I in the cars i feel like it's the only time we've yeah. seen him and i did not notice it well podcast, I'll look sure. again and you'll be like oh he is hot <laughs> nice. it ain't annie potts it ain't huh? who is it it's not it's not <laughs> no who is it? at least okay. at least they're not list i don't know i was looking at her imdb keep talking i'll find out who it is <laughs> all right let's what's uh looks like you have one other thing to talk about Maybe two. Do me? Do I? Yeah. What's the blinkest? Oh, the blinkest. I, no, that's just an. It's. It's. Why <laughs> I put that on? I'm really enjoying it. Um. I'm. You know, when you walk a dog, one needs something to entertain oneself because one's nose is not as exciting as the dog's. Um. So the blinkest <laughs> is a subscription app that I got free with my American Express card. And it's 15, they call them blinks. It's kind of like an audio reader's digest. They take nonfiction <laughs> books and like short other long form things and turn them into these five, six, 10, 15 minute blinks. And I'm really enjoying going on a dog walk and listening to a kind of curated list of quick blinks. I am like, I think I understood about half of that. That's fine. Yeah, that's, that's all you need to know. <laughs> It's, it's, and my it final like, my final thing is the view, which is oh yeah, you know they have that down. They are tight. It is wonderful on the view these days. If you have gone away, come back. It's so good. Oh, you like it? I thought you were going to nix it. No, they are on Zoom, and they are. It is constantly Whoopi saying uh, they step all over each other the entire show because they do not have any signal for saying I am going to speak, and there's all this <laughs> delay, and it's a lot of Whoopi Goldberg saying, uh, "Go ahead, Joy. Uh, no, go ahead, Sonny. <laughs> go ahead, Joy." And then Joy doesn't really like oh, Steve. Her husband is doing her audio. It's a mess in that fact. So I wouldn't nix that at all. I just I love it. All right, good. That's awesome. Um, I saw a couple things. I saw Mank, uh, or as I like to call it, Wank. Uh, you know, we have a long, long-standing it, tradition of turning. How is uh, it pronounced? It's Manks. It's Mank. Mank. Mank, like Mankowitz. Like Mankowitz. Oh, um, Mank. oh. It is. It is about the making of uh, Citizen Kane. It is uh, Gary Oldman doing oh, deep, unexplored uh, territory. Herman Mankiewicz, and he, everything he says, he first goes up and he says something like this, and then he goes down and says something like this, and then he ends up somewhere in the middle. Every single <laughs> line reading the entire movie. Um, it is kind of wanky. It is very just, um, 
I don't know. Like, unless you're really deeply into sort of cinephile Citizen Kane, Orson Welles, kind of Hollywood story stuff, it's kind of boring. It looks beautiful. It's David Fincher. It's, you know, shot in black and white. And they try to sort of recreate the actual style of Citizen Kane. So it has, like, footage of Hearst Castle, but sort of like the real story of, uh, you know, William Randolph Hearst. That's kind of fun. But um, in general, eh, kind of skip it. Sort of boring. The trailer uh, makes yeah. it look very much like um, it's the Tower of Terror ride at Disney World. <laughs> I really, I like saw it, and I literally thought, "Oh, it's the Tower of Terror movie." <laughs> and then I looked, and I was like, "Oh, I don't think it is. That That's too bad." Movie. Yeah, it's kind of a silly choice that he went so kind of retro. There's even like little, you know, when they change the reel, the little dot that appears on old films when they're, you know, it's that dot that appears periodically. They like put that in and you're just kind of like, what? It's like, come on, <laughs> just hmm. make a fucking movie about this guy and don't do all the silliness. Um, gimmicky. Uh, and? I love- yeah. There's what? a whole fucking Hollywood thing of, oh, wh- how much younger are both of those romantic partners than Gary Oldman? Oh, both of the true. people that they were talking about were older than him. I'm just fucking saying, and I'm yeah. so tired of it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty silly. Um, mm. I, I, I do think I'm, I'm so tired of that. Seyfried, Seyfried, she's not really a romantic interest, but she's good in it. I liked her. She was older uh, than him, though. I'm just saying. She was seven yeah. months older than him, and That's she insane. is so what Oldman's older yeah. than me. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Love and Monsters is a movie that I think was supposed to come out over the summer. Um, it's a very like silly monster movie, end of the world. It stars that kid from uh, the Maze Runner. I have no idea what his name is. He was terribly boring in that, and I kind of liked him in this. He's got a little like young like tom cruisey charisma he's kind of funny there's an adorable dog they fight off ridiculous monsters i didn't hate this movie i gotta say like for just some stupid like rental um this is very much as we like to say on the podcast philip up justin's lane um i enjoyed it (laughs) up your giggy as my mother would say up my giggy as your mother would say exactly um search party i've watched now the third season of the show uh fourth season is coming soon on hbo max uh this is i've talked about it a little bit before i really liked this show it was fun i'm not mad that i watched it i'll probably watch season four it gets really fucking stupid uh, in the third season by the end cola scola shows up and i don't want to spoil what his role is and i really like him generally but wow is it a stupid plot development in this uh Otherwise, Wait, did they show. did they switch um, networks? Yeah, now it's oh, on I don't HBO go for that. Max. I don't. No, 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 no. There you go. You got another Nick. No, 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 no. I don't do that. <laughs> I, I do not. Sure I don't like it. No, no. You start with the network. You stay there. I don't care for it. This one day at a time bullshit. No, 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 no. I don't. No, no. I don't go for that. I do not like it. It's dirty. I mean, it's dirty. I don't. No, no. Sorry, I'm mixing that. Is that what one does? Can I guess? Nix. That is that. You. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. You got I, it. I, I'm, I'm mixing that and all future transfer. No, no. Any of any of that. I shit. mean, no. were that were that true? Buffy goes out on the bravest thing to do in this world. Uh, the hardest thing to do in this world is living it. <laughs> but we don't get the musical. So. Okay, right, that's the, fine. The WB to. The- <laughs> 
Um, finally, I want to talk about the most basic bitch in the world who I love, Taylor Swift, her new album, Evermore. It's her second album during COVID. Um, she's amazing. I, it's like the way she just stands in her basicness is inspiring, frankly. Um, I love this album. I'm going to rock it uh, proudly. It's very quiet and lovely. And um, I really just, I like her. I'm just, I'm into it. It's a great album. That's it. Fanny, where can they tell us all sorts of things about our, you know, what our guest uh, Philip said and uh, whether they've read his book and what they think of it? Do you fuck with network changes? Tell us about it. You can find us on the Facebook, on, on the Facebook, because I'm a million fucking years old. You can find us on mm-hmm. Facebook. You just search for the next podcast. You can send us an email. I don't remember the last time I checked the email, but nobody does this, but you can do it. Motion to Nix at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. I am often there. That's at the next podcast. And I am at Fanny V. Darling. And I'm at Justin Hartung on Twitter. And Philip, where can they find you? I'm mostly on Instagram at Philip William Stover. And you can find my books on the Harlequin website or wherever ebooks are brought to you as ebooks, uh, paperbacks, and audio content. And Yay. one more time, the books are called The Hideaway Inn and The Beautiful Thing Shop. The um, Beautiful so Thing Shoppy, shop with- like the vitamin shoppy. <laughs> Perfect. All hail the Renaissance Fair. Oh, uh, we'll from Karina Adora. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye.